Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell, and Sarah Timon is back from maternity leave. Very exciting. Yay. Sarah, how's it feel to be back? Feels good. Feels good to be back. I'm sure. I, I've had three kids, so I know what it's like towards the end there. So I, I get it. Well, we're excited to have you, number one. Um, again, we all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. We've got a special guest in the house today, David James from Safe Harbor. We'll be getting to him on the second half of the show. He's sitting in. And again, if you want to email the show, it's info at tooltimeradio.com. And we are streaming live on Facebook and on YouTube. Just search Tom Tool Sales Group. So what we want to get into first, big news in the world of TikTok and real estate. I didn't think I'd be saying this. So there was a TikTok blogger that came out. His name is uh, Sean Gotcher, and he is a real estate agent in Las Vegas. And he came out with this video on TikTok that got a response from Redfin and from Zillow, which was pretty interesting. You wouldn't expect Zillow and Redfin to start responding to TikTok videos, but here we are, it's 2021. And the short of the video is Sean Gotcher goes on and he starts talking about this hypothetical scenario that there's a neighborhood that everyone can afford. And let's say the average sale price is $300,000. And then there's a large unnamed company that everybody used that started buying up homes in the neighborhood. And after they bought 30 of them, Then they decided to pay $40,000 more for the same home again. And then they invested in it, made profits. And all of a sudden, they basically price fixed the neighborhood and inflated values. That's where he was going with this video. And it went on for a while. This video was shared 78,000 times, had 2.9 million views, 442,000 likes, and 13,000. 1,800 comments. And what he was talking about is the world of iBuyers and specifically Zillow and Redfin, I think is who he, he didn't say who he he mentioned, but that's kind of what he was talking about. So ladies, what do you think about this? Well, the video was great, actually. I liked it. Um, I liked how he presented the information, you know, all very kind of cryptic, didn't name names or anything, but it was it really made you think about the process and what's going on here. Um, and it, it gives you an idea of what is definitely going to happen in the future, even sure. though it's denied um, by Zillow that it's going to happen um, because they denied a lot of other things that happened. Yes, they have. Uh, <laughs> so um, to me, I think it's enlightening and he probably exposed and, and, and brought to light a situation uh, that the consumers need to be aware of. Like people needed to know this information. So I think um, I found it very interesting. I, I liked how he laid it out. And um, I think it's very credible. Sarah, what do you think? I mean, this is, you've been back like two weeks and this is what we're throwing you into. So what, what's, what's your read on this, on, this, on this video here and these accusations? Because I think that's pretty clearly what they were by, by this realtor in Las Vegas. Well, I, I agree with Stacey. I kind of like the way that he presented it. I think that him using a little bit of sarcasm there and like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if there was a company out there that like did this? And like without ever saying a name, everyone immediately knows like who he's talking about. Um, he kind of broke down what potentially could could be happening here. You know, some things may already be, you know, some of the numbers he was just 
throwing out there, but um, I thought it was a good way to kind of break down the information and um, it was entertaining. It had like a good little spin to it. Well, and the fact that he got a response, I mean, Glenn Kelman, the CEO of Redfin, he had like a series, of like six tweets that he, he responded with, which I'll, I'll read to you guys. I want to get your, your reaction to his comments. And then we're going to talk about Zillow because I, I'm clear that that's really who they were talking about here, more so than Redfin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Glenn Kelman comes out and says, where Redfin's concerned, this is untrue. We offer every homeowner a choice of a cash offer or brokered sale, shared the data we use to price the home. We tell the owner he or she will net more via a brokered sale. We'd rather sell the home without owning it. So that was kind of tweet number one. Um, he went on, I mean, this was, there was a couple of these things here. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, but I mean, what do, what do you think about Redfin's response here? I mean, that's that that obviously is is pretty clear. And we can kind of go through all these as we read them. I mean, do, do you, is, is, are they being truthful here? What's, what, what's, your, what's your read on that? Because I thought this, I mean, the fact that they got that quick of a response. I was a little surprised. I mean, you don't think this stuff's on a CEO's agenda and then here it is. Yeah, I think uh, they were definitely um, on the defense about it, um, trying to, you know, quell any any kind of uh, over nervous overreaction. But um, it, it was interesting. They jumped right on it and uh, tried to, um, you know, put out any fires uh, that's already kind of smoldering right now. So, it's, you know, in the next couple of months, we'll see what happens. But I think this really opened up a lot of, it kind of opened up Pandora's box. And this. he actually came out and said that it was, it'd be madness for them to overpay for a single home in order to set a high watermark for other sales. And then he said, there is a conspiracy between I buyers, but it's to pay lower commissions to the brokers representing the buyers of the homes they sell by about 60 basis points. And that may be one reason why some brokers dislike I buyers. Sarah, what do you think about that? Well, just going back to your your first question there, um, I think it's funny that um, like my brain immediately went to Zillow. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that it wasn't Zillow that was the immediate responder is is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I think that people do have, you know, agents do have different mixed feelings on some of these transactions um, because oftentimes it is that you're looking at a lower a lower commission um, for going through and, and doing some of these sales. I think it was a way to, uh, you know, kind of push something else out there to, to draw attention to that and pull away from what the, the TikTok video was really saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, I was really surprised Redfin came out. I was too. But the, the part that he said to, to overpay $40,000, or well, that's the example they were using, to overpay is madness. I'm not buying that for a minute. Well, I mean, th- but yeah, $40,000 on right. one out of 30 sales. But right. what, I mean, you know, let's do some math here. I don't have my phone with me, but I mean, 40,000 times you know, 30, I mean, mm-hmm. that's going to add up, right? I, I got to, you know, I got to work on my math skills here. But the point is, it's a small overpay to increase the values. And right now with the way inventory right. is, you know, what it's doing, it's allowing, think about this. If Redfin's got a mortgage company or Zillow has a mortgage company, then it appraises and then they can get the, the mm-hmm. additional revenue from their mortgage stream. And if they're bringing title in-house, which I mean, that, that's all these companies are doing. They're all trying to go to that one-stop shop and create these additional revenue streams. So, you know, it's nice to have this reply, but they're, they're not, you know, I, I don't see them connecting the dots here like right. maybe the three of us would. Right, exactly. So what, what he also talks about here is that... Um, that they uh, mentioned that their best value by far is a brokered sale at Redfin's listing commission of 1%. 
And what the video is right about is that iBuyers are counterparties where consumers are used to dealing with brokers acting as fiduciaries. They're actually negotiating one-on-one, and they're on the opposite side of the table, which is they're, they're saying why Redfin could never be a pure iBuyer. I don't agree with that either because they're promoting these cash offers on their on, on their listings. So, so we kind of, you know, it, what I'm hearing everyone say is, it's great to have this response. Sounds like a typical like CEO political response. You know, they're going to tell you a whole bunch of nothing. L- let's talk about Zillow here. Uh, because to me, I, I see this as, as the bigger, the bigger issue because Zillow did push back and they had a statement that they emailed to um, Inman News last week. And um, they characterized the video as an example of misinformation and falsehoods. And the statement continued saying, the simple truth is that through our service and tools, home shoppers have more power than ever before at their fingertips when buying or selling or renting their home because of the information they make available to them. Zillow goes on to say, we pay market value for every home we purchase. When we looked at homes that sold traditionally after they declined a Zillow offer, we learned that on average, they only sold for 0.09% more than the Zillow offer. And on every home, that Zillow buys and sells, they're transparent. The purchase and resale prices are publicly displayed on Zillow.com. So, I mean, how, how do you feel about Zillow's reaction here? Again, I think they came on the defense. <laughs> they're really trying to to squash this, um, you know, and just trying to calm everybody down that this is not going to happen. Again, it's falsehoods. And what yep. was the other term that's always thrown misrepresentations. around? Misrepresentations. As everybody's misrepresented. Their, uh, their misinformation, true, I'm sorry. Misinformation mis- of uh, their uh, speculated intentions of, of where it's going. Um, yeah, so I, I do believe that Zillow probably has, um, I mean, they, they're, in the, they're in the business to grow. Mm-hmm. And they're going to grow this iBuyer program. That's just what's going to happen. Um, so I think that there's some truth to uh, what, the TikTok person put out there. <laughs> so I think that they're just upset because it's been exposed and a lot of people are aware of that this could potentially happen. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that their response is, no, we're so transparent. We provide all of this information so that everybody can see everything. And while they they do put um, some good information out there, I think it'll just be you know, interesting to see as the months go on and as their, um, you know, I buyer projections go up and the number of homes that they acquire and then sell increases. That's where we're really going to see what ends up happening. Exactly. Well, and, and again, I mean, I see, I see this a little differently. I've got some information on this where, I mean, I know for a fact that Zillow did this in a home for Texas where they interviewed an agent. Um, we talked about this on the show before Stacy, where they interviewed an agent. The agent said the max I can get you is X price. And all of a sudden Zillow came in and beat it by $40,000. Uh, I mean, and, and it was, no strings attached that that was the offer because they're trying to buy market share they want people to start using them and what i also know is that there's an influx of institutional buyers in general coming to the market just in the past two weeks i've seen two offers come from a company that's uh, sylvan re it's sylvanre.com and you can go to the website and check it out it's called sylvan realty and they say their whole um and let's let's pull it up right now because I, I mean and and uh, the reason i'm sharing this with you is that a seller accepted one of them the other one they didn't and what we're seeing happen is they're, they're coming in with these offers that are, you know, this home was on the market for months. We had an appraisal come in way less than what they're paying for this property, like dramatically less. And it was an FHA appraisal. So the seller had no options. They, they said, mm-hmm. great. And it's a cash deal. Um, 
with the the Zillow case study in Texas, what what we you know it's been verified data. It's I'm not going to share who I got it from or, or where it is, but these institutional buyers are coming in and they're building these portfolios. Um, I mean, Sylvan Realty they've transacted ten thousand homes if you look on their website, and they're they're saying they're providing affordable housing, but they're also buying homes. I mean, I would say over market value, mm-hmm. and setting that up, and then they're renting them out, and rents don't go down either. Right. So this isn't just a Zillow issue. I'm clear this is going to be something we see more and more of as hedge funds invest in real estate. You know, you see Zillow doing it. I never heard of Sylvan Realty. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's been two offers in the past two weeks and they're based out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the video here, I don't think it's that far off because people are seeing that there's such a demand for inventory right now and it's not going away with millennial home buyers and interest rates and a lot of the other things that are happening. People are kind of sick of the stock market and right. they're taking their money and, and Zillow obviously is trying to buy market share and they also want the mortgage business. They want the title business. They want all the other parts of the transaction. So I, I don't think this video is that far off is, right. is my point. Um, and just because they're saying it's not, you know, I remember when Zillow said, Hey, we're not becoming a brokerage. And I sat there in the audience mm-hmm. with their president and guess what guys, mm-hmm. they're a brokerage now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, do you think they're just kind of, so I, I feel like this is just like a politician saying, no, I'm not going to do something. <laughs> and then they do the exact opposite. Yeah. That's I mean, am I out of base here? Are you guys feeling the same thing? Yeah, no, I think that it perfectly aligns with um, many of the things that have come up with Zillow in the past. <laughs> yep. So, so what do you think this means for the market? Like buyers and sellers are listening. We got consumers that are, that are tuning in. What does it mean for them? And what should they be aware of going into 2022 and the fourth quarter of 2021 here? Why don't we start with sellers first? Well, for sellers, they're just going to have more opportunity to capitalize on this on this market. Um, the the you know the market values are going to increase. They're going to keep increasing because the inventory is so low. Still, I mean, it ticked up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but still, nothing monumental to to make a, a big shift in the market. So, for sellers, it's still going to be a fantastic opportunity for them. Do you think they're going to see more of these offers specifically in the greater mm-hmm. Philadelphia? I mean, I, we, we've seen, we've personally seen two out of the hundreds of transactions we've done this year. Do you expect to see more? I haven't seen any myself, but I'm sure it's going to increase. This is a very desirable area to, to live and invest. Um, it's a ve- very wealthy area. So it, for investment and um, corporate rentals, things like that, there's definitely opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the thing with this institutional buyer, buyer, Sylvan Realty coming into the marketplace, they still have an inspection contingency. They're sending their own guy in because the reason we haven't seen Zillow penetrate our market is their buy box is typically like newer homes and newer communities. We've got some houses here that have some issues, right? right? I mean, you got these 110 year old homes or these homes built in the 40s or whatever else. And you look at their like the foundation problems you don't unearth, septic systems, all those sort of things. So I would imagine it's going to have to hit their buy box if we're going to see more of that. And that tells me it's probably like the first time buyer and trade up market that's going to benefit from this, if you will, in terms of getting another buyer interested in the property. Sarah, what about you? So, I mean, are you thinking that maybe Zillow won't um, so much come into this area, but some of the other iBuyers um, maybe would that don't have the same check boxes? Um, as Zillow? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, knowing what I know, because I mean, you look at what the market Zillow's in right now with their Zillow offers program. It's like Florida, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, like the homes just aren't as old there. Right. The Northeast is a little different because we've got, you know, brick and mortar homes, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got these like 110, 120 year old row homes. So I don't know if that's something that 
they're going to want to get involved with yet until they understand the market, although their metrics are improving. Um, I do know they still want the, the loan business, though. I mean, that that's really right. what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there, like you said, there is there is some issues with some of the housing in this area just because the age of the homes. Yeah. Um, I was actually in a home yesterday, 1800 it was built. So <laughs> talk about, yeah, seeing some, that probably wouldn't be the Zillow model that they'd be looking for. But um, yeah, you're right about that. But I, I, eventually I think it's all going to, it's going to just become a thing even into our area. They'll find a way um, to try to get into our market share. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would think even if um, this wasn't something that Zillow was immediately going after, some of the other iBuyers that may be kind of following suit and and watching what Zillow does and kind of, you know, formulating what they're doing based off of that a bit, um, you know, maybe somebody else will will come in, they'll start, you know, seeing if this is successful for them. And if it is, then I would think it would be safe to say you're going to see you're going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of experts out there. One of them is Darren uh, Bloomquist, who's the vice president of market economics at auction.com. And he's saying this isn't even about making money off the inventory. It's about who can get the most inventory the fastest because they're kind of collecting it and then sitting on it. And then maybe they make that like they do what the video says. Right. And then they kind of go, OK, we're going to set the new price and, and bid more for the property. And then Mike Delpreet, who's an Inman author, he uh, works at the University of Colorado Boulder, who studies the iBuyer market. He published an analysis last month that basically concluded iBuyers have shifted to a free-for-all and acquire at any cost strategy, which it looks like that's kind of what, what's, what's happening here, knowing what, what we know. I mean, and especially the two properties that we saw the, the institutional buyers come from, I mean, they weren't like the most desirable properties. I mean, I, you know, not, not to uh, disclose any information. And, you know, what, what he's, um, you know, what Del, Del kind of goes on to say is that, you know, the, the, the video is probably a little like, like the guy's got like a tinfoil hat on, like conspiracy theory, which I don't, I don't disagree with because I think there's potential downsides to have like a middleman involved in those transactions at scale. Just think about all the fees they're going to collect, right? If, that, mm-hmm. if their goal is to make money. Uh, what he did say was that where Redfin's concerned, um, that it, it's, you know, their eye buyers a little different uh, because they, you know, they, they are working directly with consumers. But with, uh, with with Zillow, you know, he calls them a market maker. And that's, I know they consider themselves that. And they try to make this process easier. So by contr- by being the seller, right? Because think about like the buyer and seller interactions. Does logic ever like follow the, these things? I mean, it gets pretty crazy sometimes, <laughs> it right? Does. Yeah. So if Zillow now is not only the broker and also the seller, probably eliminates a lot of stress for the buyers. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that there may be something to this here. Uh, I, you know, and so if you're a buyer in the marketplace, so sellers, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of opportunity. You're going to have another person interested in your home. If anything, it's going to mm-hmm. drive the price up for the right. person that really wants it and wants to move in there. What about a buyer? What does a buyer need to be aware of in these situations? Well, it's still going to be very competitive for buyers as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been since we opened back up after COVID. So um, they just have to be aware. It's, it's going to be competitive. It's, it's still going to be the same, but there might be these you know, other, um, I guess, behind the scene buyers that are going to come in and, you know, overbid. But that could happen also with just your standard regular buyer that's in the local market. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, Zillow is going to be a lot less emotional (laughs) about about any of the transactions. So um, while emotions can work both ways, (laughs) you know, sometimes having all those emotions really, it does not help the sale go uh, through quicker or smoother. Um, 
I think that with Zillow looking at it strictly from, you know, a number standpoint, um, if they're not getting what they're looking for out of out of a certain offer, they're probably going to be less likely to be able to negotiate that down if they're if it was one that they got where there really weren't a ton of buyers coming in um, mm-hmm. to compete against it. I think um, they would probably draw their line in the sand and be a bit less likely to move. And it, I think it really depends on their internal strategy. And that's what we don't know. I mean, they're not coming like when we're dealing with a buyer and they say, hey, my, my, my mom lives three blocks away. I want this house. Like, you know, they're going to be pretty aggressive to a certain level. Mm-hmm. But Zillow, I mean, we don't know what the heck they're thinking. Right. right. I mean, that they, they play. They're like an iron box. They play it pretty close to the vest. What I do know is that if you're a buyer right now or even a seller, I think it's all the more reason you got to get a professional in there and talk to somebody, because if you were saying, I want this house at any cost. You need to have someone that knows how to get it for you. Not just, we'll write the offer up, we'll cross our fingers and we'll see what happens, which is what most realtors do. Mm-hmm. And for, for sellers, I mean, the iBuyer may be the better offer for them. Like, I, I want to be really clear about that. I mean, it, you know, a lot of these wholesalers and those kind of people, they intentionally undercut the price because they want to mm-hmm. take the profit. This is not what Zillow is doing. That's not what these iBuyers are doing. It's very different. So I would get some advice and say, okay, well, am I going to be able to beat this on the market? If there's an appraisal in there, and we're going to talk about some of this stuff next, which is a good segue, you may have to be worried about that. Zillow, they may not have that problem. They're coming in mm-hmm. cash or, you know, whatever whatever they're using. They're not going to have like a mortgage contingency, right? right. So, right. Uh, you know, for, for sellers, this could be an advantage for buyers. I mean, this is all the more reason to have someone like really helping you through the process to navigate this because this is a new wrinkle that we haven't seen before. This isn't something that's been common. I mean, at least for the, I mean, we start to see it ramp up right before the pandemic, then they kind of slow down now. We're seeing it again. So all the more reason to get an advocate in the transaction. And, and the thing you want to kind of we'll, we'll, we'll leave with here, and this is a good question. Maybe we'll, we'll leave everyone hanging. Uh, Delpreet, he goes on to say in his statement to Inman, what happens when a company backed by Wall Street and motivated by profit has the ability to withhold listings from the market in the midst of a once in a generation housing shortage? With the rise of new models that change the paradigm of home ownership, careful attention should be paid to a possible collision between what's best for the company and what's best for the consumer. And he's got a really great point there because Zillow, uh, one of their core values is turn the lights on for consumers and what's going to be best for them. Because if you ever listen to like Rich Barton, he basically said like realtors are idiots. And uh, he, I mean, this is, you know, listen to his uh, podcast on uh, uh, the NPR one. What's it called? You guys know what I'm talking about. How it's made, how, how I built this or something. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, it's Guy Raz. Um, he basically says that because he didn't like the process. Well, they also have like avatars in their office of Betty the buyer and the seller avatar. They don't have an agent avatar. That person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's investors, renters, buyers, sellers, and they advocate for the consumer. They're going to have a choice to make here and they may have to change the direction of the company. And I think Delpreet hits it on the head there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that statement says it all right there. I, it's mm-hmm. such a good rhetorical question. He's a yeah. pretty smart guy. So On that note, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about a little bit what's happening in the market. Is offering the asking price enough? This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one? 
You good? You got a minute and a half. Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. The real estate market is red hot. Have you considered taking advantage? Call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-692-6976 or visit our website, tomtool.com, to connect and take advantage of these market conditions. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates. 20 seconds. And delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at Coming back. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. Sarah Timon is back. We're going to the three-man booth like Monday Night Football. Very exciting. Or two guys and a woman, at least. So, or two women and a man. Excuse me. There we go. Um. So we want to talk about the market, a, a great segue from our last um, our, our, our last topic about like what it takes to get a home. And what I wanted to lead with is you know, a question that has come up so many times over the past 18 months. Is the asking price enough to get the property? We've all been through this before. So what do you ladies think before I get into some statistics here and some supporting data? Sarah, why don't we start with you? I mean, is, if a buyer says... Hey Sarah, if I bid the asking price, is that enough to get the home? What do you what do you what do you tell them? How do you answer that question? So each home is specific, obviously. So um, you want to take a look at a couple different factors. Um, how long has it been on the market? Um, get the motivation behind if you're able to reach out to the the seller's agent and and really get any details from the seller. Um, in some cases, it it is enough. In others, it isn't. Um, it's definitely case specific. I think it also depends on how badly your buyers want the property. You know, would you be upset if it went to someone else over the listing price? If the answer is, you know, no, I wouldn't want to pay that for it, then then there you go. <laughs> but you need to find out, um, you know, specifically comps, motivation, um, what's kind of driving this sale in order to, to position yours the best. And in some cases, uh, the listing price might be what gets it done. But in quite a few, no, that's, that's not going to do it. Well, I, and so you're absolutely right there. And, and, and the stat I want to share with everybody, and this is kind of crazy when you think about this, is that through August in the city of Philadelphia, the average list to sales price ratio is 97.7% of the asking price. So in Philadelphia, the asking price might be enough. Chester, Delaware, Montgomery counties, 101.2% to 102% of the asking price is the average. So it's probably not enough in the suburban markets. Uh, I mean, is that kind of what you guys are seeing? I mean, I know we do business in, in, in all, all these different places. 
uh, Stacy, I mean, are you are you seeing that in the suburban market? You know, chime in here because I think there's there's these stats need to be acknowledged mm-hmm. because a lot of people still want to come in and like make an offer and then they don't get the house and then they are, they're kicking themselves months later because they lost it over a couple thousand bucks. Exactly. Yeah. And again, it is situational. Each house has its own, you know, it, basically it's its own case study. So, but for the most part out in suburbia land, um, I'm still seeing that the asking price is not going to get it. If you're going to come in or try to come in at asking price, um, make sure that you're beefing your offer up somewhere else. Do you want to pay the seller's transfer tax? I mean, that would help out a lot. In essence, you're putting money right into the seller's pocket. Are you going to waive inspections? Uh, Most of the time, if it's a house in really great condition, people are going to bid over asking price and waive inspections and probably pay the seller's transfer tax. <laughs> um, and if they if there's no mortgage contingency, um, that is very, very helpful uh, if you can come in as a cash offer. But what I'm seeing still is the purchase price is the starting price and mm-hmm. it just goes up from there. Well, and, and, and this isn't just our local market. This is also nationally. So to give some more data here, um, according to the National Association of Realtors, Properties are on average receiving 3.8 offers and they're selling in 17 days. It's a little faster than what we're seeing in our market here. The average time on the market in the suburbs is ranging from 27 to 29 days. And again, that's Chester, Delaware, Montgomery counties, Philadelphia, it's north of 60. And now almost six in 10 homes, according to the deputy chief economist at CoreLogic, Selma Hep, are, sell- are selling over the asking price. So we're seeing the majority. It's, it's, it's just, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. It's not enough. So you went over what it means for, for buyers here. What should sellers be prepared for? Like what are the things sellers need to kind of realize about this? Cause it's great to get like a nice offer, mm-hmm. but you got to get to closing and actually like close it. So, right. you know, it, and when we do see people sometimes blow out when they make these incredible bids and they way overpay, but they have contingencies there. So what should sellers be prepared for? If they're in this situation, their home selling 101, 102, or you know, 110 percent above the asking price, which we've seen in some cases. Um, I mean, I think you need to look closely. Like as we always say, there's price and there's terms. So, like we were just kind of given examples of. Um, I think that sometimes the the highest price, if you if you look through the terms, you might not actually walk away with the most money if they're if they're putting a lot of. Uh, you know, different items in there that either give them outs or give them uh, the ability to renegotiate price. And what we typically see is once you get, you know, a certain amount into a transaction, you're really trying to, both parties typically want to see this, you know, get to the, get to the settlement table. So, um, you know, even if as you're going through the process, you're seeing, well, that other offer at the earlier stage here actually maybe could have had me walk away with more money in my pocket. One, it's it's two, like they might not be available anymore. Sure, and, yeah, it's gone. And right. two, you're already, you're in the process here. So I think you do really need to look at um, at all of the factors as the seller to see what possible places could this uh, could this buyer re-manipulate things or, or renegotiate things. Because, I mean, every buyer comes in and says, I want a smooth, easy transaction. I'm not trying to have any hiccups. Like I want this to be straightforward and it's, it's going to be smooth. And, you know, that's great when that happens. <laughs> but if you leave yeah. uh, 
spots there in order for things to be negotiated. It doesn't matter what was said at the beginning. A lot of times negotiations are going to come into play. So mm-hmm. um, just really looking at all aspects of the offer is going to save you down the line. Well, and I, I love what you're saying here because there are a lot of hurdles to get over, even the, even when you get a great price. Uh, and we, we talked about, you know, kind of this auction-like atmosphere in the selling process and appraisal gaps are, are a major issue right now. Uh, so to give some perspective on this, you know, beginning in, in January 2020, so before the pandemic, nationally, 7% of purchase transactions had a contract price above the appraisal. Um, and this is, again, according to CoreLogic. They're a huge real estate data company. The frequency jumped in May 2021 to 19% of purchase wow. transactions. So we're seeing, I mean, you know, literally uh, um, 12% more. I mean, that, that's a big jump. And to me, this is where it's so critical for sellers to know what to expect next. And what a great agent does is they say, okay, well, it's great. We got this offer. Here's the right. next couple things we got to get through in the next 45 or 60 days and knowing how to handle those situations. And, you know, you, you talked about, you know, foreshadowing Sarah, which is great, or, you know, future pacing or just telling people, Hey, here's, here's the expectations in the transaction. Here's what's going to go on. If you're not doing that as an agent or your agent's not doing that, if you're a consumer listening right now, they're not doing their job. And this is a great example to talk about how we train our people to get ahead of these things, because when they know what to expect, the stress goes away. Like if you know, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, this is an edgy appraisal. You probably feel a little better knowing, knowing it and just kind of waiting for the answer instead of being totally shocked and getting like a uppercut to, you know, to, or, or like right. a jab to your face when you're in the middle of something, that's where the right training is going to be really critical for these agents. So if you're thinking about getting into real estate and you don't have a license, check out our website, realestatescholarshipprogram.com. We will pay for you to get licensed, give you the right training to set you up for success. Like these two ladies here who are rocking and rolling. So h- how are you guys advising your clients on appraisal gaps, both the seller and the buyer? Because I, I, I don't think people really think about this. And then this is, this is one of the bigger challenges that we've seen throughout the past 12 months. No question. Well, for the sellers, um, you want them, you know, when, if offers come in and there's, you know, they're over asking price and one's more over than the other, over than the other, they kind of get like all starry eyed and excited, like all this money coming in. Mm -hmm. So you have to bring them back down to earth and just explain to them what everything is. Is there an appraisal gap um, contingency in the offer? Does it state, is the buyer going to contribute fully or partially to any appraisal gap? If so, great, then they're going to make up the difference. Um, Is it a cash offer? You don't have to worry about an appraisal. But school your sellers on, look, there's going to be, if there's financing, an appraisal that happens, and it's that person's opinion of the value of the home. So you have to be prepared. Are you going to be willing to lower your purchase price to that appraised value? Are you going to be willing to, you know, somehow contribute to it all, you know, wholly or uh, partially? Are you going to ask the buyers to contribute some? How are you going to want to handle this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you can just, the buyers might just walk away if you demand that they try to come up with with that difference. So there's risk on all sides when that appraisal comes in, <laughs> not at purchase price. So everybody, they just have to be aware of the options and what can happen. Well, Sarah, you've been through this a couple of times where the buyers come in, they're saying, hey, we'll make up like $50,000 of the appraisal gap because they wanted the house. So What's their thought process there? What kind of questions are they asking themselves? How are they making that decision to put that into an offer? Sure. Well, first of all, they need to look at their finances and make sure that they can, in fact, 
do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, depending on the the price point that they're looking at, how much cash they have on hand, um, you know, maybe they look at some homes that aren't at the top of their budgets that they can then when they find one, go in and actually make up that appraisal gap difference. Because um, I mean, that goes a very long way uh, as you're as you're looking at offers. Um, so having somebody that has the ability to do that. Um, otherwise having a real discussion with them, like how much can you do? And then there's always the, you know, what often comes up, you know, well, if it doesn't appraise at that, then am I overpaying for it? Is this still a smart move? Well, it depends on how badly you want the home. Like the home's worth what the highest person is going to pay for it, you know? So, um, it's kind of like the TikTok video, right? Right, right. Right. So you need to, you know, know where your buyer stands, both financially you know, emotionally, how bad do they want this home? And, um, you know, there's also a factor of like, how long are they going to be in the home? What are their future plans with the home? Um, those are all, uh, pieces of information that can help them make a, a decision that they feel good about at the end of the day. So, and and I, I, you broke that down beautifully because you got to look at your finances. Number one, can you even do this? Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that's, that's the first question. Then like, what's your time for, I, I love how you broke that down because that's not an easy decision to say, Hey, you know what? I know the appraisal is going to come in low. I still feel the home is worth more than that because of the current market climate. And you're kind of chasing down comparables right now because everything's delayed like 60 days anyway. There could be a home that sold yesterday for a great number, but that may not be included in the appraisal. Or you might just get a bad appraisal. I mean, that, that, that's another issue. And, and if you're not looking at all the factors, then buyers aren't making the right decisions. And, and for sellers, I think to your point, you both said this, you got to look and see like what the offers, other offers look like and how clean are they? Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to go to price first. And at the same time, if it's like a cash offer, maybe it's 10 grand less and there's no inspections like that, that's probably going to be the better offer. And the goal that I, I, a lot of people lose sight of is the goal in real estate. And the only way the three of us can do our job is to sell the home, period, end of story. There, there, there's no like, we almost sold it or we almost like almost doesn't cut it. Like it just doesn't work. And because people lose sight of that and they, I think you, you had said Stacey, they get like starry eyed or, you know, mm-hmm. they, they see these, these numbers come in, you know, it's, it's making a business decision here. And that's why it's really important having the right person guide you through this because a lot of agents, like I've seen them uh, where we find out what the other offers are like and we get our buyers offers accepted. And it's like, man, I can't believe they accepted our offer or the other one. I wouldn't have recommended that. And that's okay. I mean, it's good for us, but that that's the, that's the challenge that we run into. So, you know, pretty clearly the offer price isn't going to, the asking price isn't going to be enough. The appraisals are, are an issue here. Anything else consumers should know that are going into the fourth quarter this year or going into 2022, do you expect this to continue? Are we going to see more, more appraisals come in more in line with the January 2020 numbers as opposed to May 2021? What do you guys think? Well, I think, I think it's going to get better um, because I think there's more inventory on the market. So there's a little less competition. So they might, you might not have to go so far over asking price. Um, and that would be, you know, end up being a comp. But I, I do think it's going to start to level out. Um, might not be early next year, but maybe later into next year. Sure. Um, but the more inventory that comes onto market, because I'm seeing it now, houses are a little bit, there's more opportunity uh, for buyers out there, but still now in the present time, it's, um, pretty much the asking price is that starting point for sure. 
Well, what I, what I know too is that it's not so much like the inventory is is tight in terms of the supply that sits on the market. Mm-hmm. If you look at the the numbers year over year, more homes have sold this year than last year. Correct. So there are it's when when people and I'm I'm not not that I'm correcting you here. I think it's the inventory that's out there. You got to be ready to move on it if you're a buyer mm-hmm. and if you're a seller. You got to realize that you have like a like it used to be the bet the first thirty days is your best chance to get your best price. I'd say it sounds like the first seven days. And mm-hmm. if, if the home's not moving, then you really need to look at what, what what's going on and if you need to adjust your number in line with the market because the home, the sellers that are overpricing their homes are the ones that are sitting there. Correct. And knowing that there's, you know, inventory is, is turning and there's people with real intent and there's a lot of demand, it's so critical for buyers to know exactly what you're looking at and have a game plan going in and basically be ready to go look at homes on like on demand. Mm-hmm. Like you better clear your schedule, yep. cancel the kids' soccer games, yep. You know, any plans you have, you better be ready to go. That, that's, how, that's just how the market's moving right now. And for sellers, I'd also cancel your plans and get out of the house. Maybe open it up for a weekend and let people come in and be ready to make quick decisions because there's a lot of transactions happening right now. And if you're behind the market, then you're the one that could be losing out and maybe leaving money on the table there. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add, Sarah, before we go to break? Yeah, I mean, I think as the the buyer, just still be prepared to to go out and be ready to compete. Um, and, you know, as a lot of these homes over the last couple months, we know there's a lag between when they, uh, when things go to settlement and when that's going to actually be able to pop up and support your appraisal down the line. Um, as some of them are ticking up, you'll be able to, to use some of those to support it, but still be prepared to have the conversation to know appraisal could be an issue. Um, but at the end of the day, if you want to get the home, it could go it could go to somebody else who who did go over ask and is prepared to cover an appraisal gap. Um, just because those issues are there doesn't mean that other people aren't going to overcome them. So you have to be be prepared to handle that. Well, you don't want to have regret because it might be a long time before you see another home that you like that much. And, and that, that's what I always tell people is that you don't know what, what's going to happen. You can control the moment. So I think that's great advice from both of you. We're going to stop it right there. We're going to take a quick break. Coming back, we have David James from Safe Harbor, which I am super excited about. Um, It's a local charity in Chester County. We'll talk about it all next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. The real estate market is red. You're good. Are you doing... That's your last commercial break, right? Tool Sales Group at Remax at 610-69. philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. 30. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. In the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. 
Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S. It's for savings. All right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacy Mitchell. And again, we work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. If you want to check us out, we're streaming on YouTube and Facebook right now. Just search Tom Tool Sales Group. And we are super grateful to have David James on right now. He is with Safe Harbor of Chester County. It's an amazing charity. David, why don't you tell us about the charity first, and then we can kind of get into a charity event you have going on. I mean, this is a great cause. I know you're, you're friends with Stacy. David's also a Leo, if that means anything to anybody. It does. It's um, very important to make a note of that. Thank you. That's my middle name, and we call my son that, so I do like that, so that's good. Um, but tell, tell us about Safe Harbor. This is just a great organization. We want to get the word out. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, we are a homeless shelter. Uh, we have been in business um, for over 25 years. In fact, we just kind of crossed that 25th anniversary uh, milestone uh, last year. And uh, it was actually started in the um, Chester County area or the Westchester area um, when a group of people realized that there was truly a homeless situation and, uh, and uh, something that needed to be done uh, to help these folks. And so when it first started over 25 years ago, there was no building. It was actually done almost like every weekend at a different church who oh, was wow. kind enough to host everybody. So that's the amazing beginning. And then as it has come, uh, we have a permanent place. And in fact, about 10 years ago, we added a second floor. That's tremendous. Um, because we take care of 20 single men and 20 single women uh, who are homeless um, at our fullest capacity. I have to be honest. In non-COVID times, we were able to be at capacity, a little safer circumstances sure, sure. now, you know. Um, but uh, 10 years ago, we were able to put on that additional floor and to be able to take care of 20 basically extra people every single night. Well, I, I know you told me when we prepped a little bit here that um, you're, I think, the only organization in Chester County that that uh, works with single women. So how did that come about? I mean, I'd love to hear how the, how the charity got started. And, you know, I, I mean, to me, that's a huge need in, in, sure. in the uh, in, in the world right now and in Chester County and just in our region. Well, one of the things, um, the reason that we had to address with the, the single women is because there are a lot of organizations in Chester County who take care of families. Mm -hmm. So if you're a homeless family, there's a place or two to be able to go there. Um, if you are a mom with a child, like with you, you know, um, uh, all the time, then there's a place for you to go there as well. But I always like to remind everybody that just because we have the housing for the single women, it doesn't mean that they're not a mom, you know, sure. uh, it's just a different circumstance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's a great place to be able to come to not have to worry about housing, to not have to worry about food, to not have to worry about laundry or showers or anything like that and get back on your feet. So that's what was recognized early on. So when we first started, you know, like I said, when we were moving around from, from uh, church basement to church basement, um, it was really only uh, maybe like 10 single men and then maybe three or four uh, women. And then once we were able to get the second floor on 10 years ago, you know, we were able to do 20 and 20. Sure. Well, I mean, that, 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 that's a pretty tremendous thing. And, and I, you know, I think there, there's a lot of 
you know, I mean, I've never been in that situation. I, I'm not, I'm not really sure what that's like, but I imagine it's probably very stressful just being in like these different organizations and not having a place. So how did, how did the organization get started? I mean, I know you said it's 25 years, mm-hmm. which is, which is pretty incredible because most people quit things after like a year or two, let alone sure. being around this long. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's like I said, uh, a group of citizens got together and I think there's, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I've never been. And, um, what they did, um, was to go to the city council and the town leaders of Westchester because it started in Westchester and then now we serve all of Chester County. Got it. And eventually found a building that was truly in the heart of Westchester. It's at 20 North Matlack street. And, uh, I always say it's the big white building that you can drive by and see your donation at work because uh, everything that you give at any time is always going to stay 100% local. So it is helping the Chester County uh, folks. So um, they then realized we needed that building. We needed to be able to also take care of the food insecure in the area as well. So not only do we serve the homeless in our area, we also serve the food insecure. We have community lunches and we also have, um, you know, the ability to serve food if we actually get extra food at times we have a food pantry that we can put out during those lunch times okay. as well yeah awesome awesome so i know you guys have a, a golf outing coming up yes. I, I know we want to definitely talk about that it's at chester valley golf club um it's in october why don't you fill us in on that and then we can see see what, what questions the ladies have here for sure. you sure yeah um uh, chester valley golf club um it's a private club a lot of folks love coming to our event because it may be their only opportunity to play there sure. every year and um it is October 18th, so that's a Monday. Um, our sponsor is Forethought Incorporated, so we're very thankful to uh, Denny and Michelle Howard, who um, have been sponsoring it for the past couple of years. They're they're a great couple, and their own uh, business there uh, supports it. But um, we welcome anybody who still wants to come out and play or even possibly sponsor the event. You can go to our website to find out more information about it. We do have a $10,000 hole-in-one contest, all the good food, all of the good beverages as well. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing as well out on the day to make it uh, just a really great day of golf and giving back. Um, our website, by the way, is uh, safeharborofcc.org. And, and it's really easy to remember how to find us. If you just Google Safe Harbor of Chester County, just remember Chester County. Sure. That'll be the one that pops up. And the reason I always remind you of that is that everybody who has a big heart who wanted to start a homeless shelter 25, 30, 40 years ago, or even today, half of them on the planet are named Safe Harbor. I found that out when I oh, started wow. there. So I'm just saying, if you plug in the Chester County, you'll get the right one. So I appreciate that because when I took over the role just uh, three years ago, I Googled Safe Harbor and I was like, oh, there goes my web <laughs> page. Funny. It's full of all the, you know, it's a great name. It's a great yeah. idea. Come here, have Safe Harbor. But uh, what I did find from a marketing point of view, be sure to add the Chester County. <laughs> so, so it's safeharborofcc.org, safeharborofcc.org. And you can go, it looks like you can register right on the site, which is great. Absolutely. Um, and there's sponsorships available. You can do foursomes, individuals, 10K for a hole-in-one contest. Uh, and that's Monday, October 18th. And it's rain or shine at Chester Valley Golf Club in Malvern. So, ladies, what questions do you have for David here? I don't, I don't want to monopolize the interview here. What do you, I mean, I know, Stacey, you've been connected from him with him for a while. Mm-hmm. You know I, know, I know you guys got some questions, so why don't you jump in? Um, well, I don't know. Mine is a golf question. I'm not yes. much of a golfer, but maybe people out there that are listening, this could be the determining factor as to whether or not they want to go to the tournament. Are you doing <laughs> scramble, 
best ball? What's the, uh, the oh, setup excellent. for the tournament? Yeah, Those are gonna, the only two uh, golf things that I know. So. It is awesome. It is. <laughs> two more um, than I know. I believe so this year it's going to be best ball and it is a shotgun start. Okay. So it'll be a shotgun and uh, best ball. So um, gameplay, that's one of the things that's, that I really love about this event is that we do keep it moving. Like everybody who comes off, you're usually done at 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. And a lot of these events, sometimes you can hang around till 6.30 or 7 and then everybody wants to talk at you. We try and keep it moving. We mm -hmm. like to keep a good tempo. Hey, great question, by the way, for a non-golfer. I know, Sarah, coming, yeah. With, yeah. coming with some authority yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, Kevin and I volunteered Absolutely at this event already yes. one time. Well, not last year, but we'll be back again this year. So I'm super excited. Um, no silent auction this year? Um, probably not. One of the things that we've kind of found is that we we actually, as an organization, a nonprofit who are doing everything we can to, to raise money, also want to be sensitive mm -hmm. to businesses that are out there. Most of the people that give to us are local businesses. As you know, they're hurting. Mm -hmm. So we kind of gauge things along those lines and where we feel like we're on our way to having a full set of golfers and a great amount of sponsors. We always need more. Um, <laughs> but so maybe we don't need the silent auction to help gotcha. push us over the edge and also not to possibly embarrass somebody who's helped us for many years when force them in a situation where maybe they would have to say, no, I can't give you the handbag this year. Or, no, I can't. If we can kind of get away without doing it, we're mm -hmm. going to do that. We're very sensitive to our local neighbors who support us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that that's a real thing right now. I mean, businesses, just because like we're, we're, it seems like we're on the tail end of this pandemic, there's still a lot of people that are making up for when they were shut down last year. Or, yes. And it depends kind of on the business too. I mean, that with some of the restrictions that are going in. So I, I love that. Um, so again, it's safeharborofcc.org. Um, what are some other ways people can help the organization? If they're not golfers, because I'm sure as heck not a golfer. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Sarah's not either. Um, right. you, you can't come to the uh, I, I see you got some sponsorship info here. Sure. But let's say besides that, like right. let's say someone wants to get involved and they're listening and this is a cause that's important to them. What are some great ways to volunteer or, or help Safe Harbor of Chester County? All right. Great question. Quick question for both of you. Are you a good cook? Yes. Are you a good cook? <laughs> yes, I am. Is he lying? <laughs> no, I could. <laughs> I've never awesome. cooked no, a meal no, no, for Sarah before. He, I mean, he hesitated uh... a quick second, so I wasn't sure. But no, no, no. Here, here's what you can do because we provide, like I said, the community lunch. So you could prepare a bag lunch. We have somebody I could put you in touch with, or you just go to the website and find out more about it. But you can provide lunches that we can hand out to the community. That's not even just to our Two minutes. Every day, 1130 to 1230. We hand out to anybody in the community who needs a lunch, okay? We also prepare a hot dinner for our residents. So if you're a good cook, you can cook, you can drop it off. We're all still very COVID safe, happy to come out to your car and pick it up, depending on your comfort level. But again, go to our website, shoot us an email. We can get in touch with you. And you could commit to something along the lines of like the third Thursday of every month, I'm going to bring dinner or I'm going to bring lunch once a month or even more. So that's an, that's one of the best ways to get involved because right now we're still limiting the amount of volunteers that we would typically sure, yeah, have yeah. in the building. 
So dropping off uh, dinner is a, is a great way. And I look forward to What are you most famous for? What's your most famous dish? <laughs> the best thing I make is, a, is an Asian skirt steak, believe it or not. So I don't, I don't, wow. know, I don't know if that's going to travel well, but we can, we can make some casseroles or something like that. Friday or, at 5 sounds yeah. great. I look forward to seeing you there. <laughs> I, I love that answer, though, because yeah. that's something any, anybody can do. Sure. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's always tough when, you know, I, I know just from you know, working with other charities and other organizations where you're raising money, well, right now it's not that easy for people, but I think anybody can drop off like a bagged lunch or sure. make a meal. And I, I think that's a great answer because these are people that really need it. And I love that anyone can get like lunch from you guys. Right. So is that something new you've been doing? Have you been doing that for a while? No, we've been doing that for a very long time, Monday through Saturdays. And in fact, I don't know the years, but it's it's easily over a decade mm -hmm. that, uh, and, and if not longer, that we've been doing it for the community. And typically in non-COVID times, that lunch is is, is a hot meal. So it is also a hot meal, but now we have to scale that back. Sure, sure. You know, because we um, social distance and everything as we hand these meals out. Some some days they're hot, some days they aren't. But other days, like I said, non-COVID, they were actually able to come into. We have a cafeteria and everybody could sit down. And That's eat. great. Yeah. Well, great organization. Um, our producer's telling us we're wrapping up here shortly. So anything else people need to know about Safe Harbor, ugh, Safe Harbor of Chester County? Again, it's safeharborofcc.org is the website. Best way to get in touch. Anything we didn't get out, David, super grateful you're coming on. And I, I know we're all looking forward to supporting this in some way here. Uh, but anything else people need to know about the organization? I, I think the number one thing that I'd like for you to know is that 100% of your donation stays local. We're not a national organization. You can drive by your donation anytime you want to. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. So it's safeharborofcc.org. David, thanks so much for coming Thank on the show. Thank you for having me. Hope it's a great success at Chester Valley. If it's a shotgun or scramble or hole in one or whatever you guys are playing, sure. I know Sarah's going to be there with her with her golf cleats on, ready to go. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, email us. It's info at tooltimeradio.com. Sarah, where should people follow you? Instagram still the best place. Yes. So it's at tie time. I, I, I haven't done this in a while. Is that the? Yep, at tie tie time. Tie tie time. So two ties. <laughs> Stacy's at the number two Mitchco M I T C H C O. You can follow me at TomTool3RD, at TomTool the third. Again, we work with the TomTool sales group at REMAX Mainline. We stream the show live on Facebook and YouTube every week. David, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.